0: Listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today, the day of recording, it is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023, and I'm joined in the NK News studio by Keith Luce, Executive Director of the National Committee on North Korea. Uh, But first, before we begin, please leave a review about this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you use, and please share this podcast episode with colleagues and friends and even enemies, especially frenemies, and what's more, like and subscribe to the whole series. New episodes are released every Tuesday afternoon, sold time. Secondly, check out nknews.org, where you can find in-depth stories written by my journalistic colleagues every day. Consider buying a subscription for a year. It's much more affordable than you think. In fact, if you sign up for the annual plan, it's less than a dollar a day. Thirdly, follow nknews.org and me, Z, on Twitter. So my guest today is Keith Luce, the Executive Director of the National Committee on North Korea. Previously, Keith was the Senior East Asia Policy Advisor for Chairman and later Ranking Member Senator Richard G. Luger at the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee from 2003 till 2013. Keith also served as Staff Director for Mr. Luger at the Senate Agriculture Committee from 1999 through 2002, where the Senator also served as Chairman and later Ranking Member. You will find the National Committee on North Korea on Twitter at NCNKorea. Welcome, Keith, and thank you for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. Now, you might remember, Keith, that I actually recorded an interview with you in person in Washington, D.C. in January 2020 in the Senate office building, but unfortunately, the sound quality ended up being so bad that we couldn't release that in all good conscience. So here we are three years later recording a better version in our NK News studio, sure to go out soon.
1: Very good. Actually, I thought that I was the problem before. I thought that's no, why no. you didn't uh, go ahead and release that.
0: No, the problem was my technical failing. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the, uh, the National Committee on North Korea. Let's start with the basics. What is it?
1: Well, The National Committee on North Korea, or NCNK, was originally established by Mercy Corps, the international aid agency, about 20 years ago to be a humanitarian bridge to North Korea at a time of rather dismal U.S.-DPRK relations. Today, our mission is to promote principled engagement with North Korea, between the U.S. and North Korea. We have about 100 members, former diplomats, humanitarian workers, academics, etc., a diverse group, but people who agree on a common goal of trying to reach out to North Korea in Track 2 talks or, or other arrangements. And so We are funded privately by by private foundations. It's just an ongoing effort to find creative ways of engagement with the North.
0: Okay, well, that's already preempted a number of my questions. Here's one: Does NCNK seek regime change of North Korea or Korean unification?
1: NCNK, with 100 members, is an organization which, because of its membership, its members have all sorts of ideas and perspectives. Mm. Again, the one point they agree upon is engagement with the North. So, having said that. We tend to not get involved in uh, policy recommendations in general. We don't sign on to letters, et cetera.
0: Okay, and you mentioned that a yeah, hundred people uh, with lots of different ideas. So, what is the breadth of diversity of thought within NCNK
1: in terms of
0: in terms of how to deal with North Korea, how to approach North Korea, how to engage with North Korea?
1: Well, I think that first of all, it's an excellent question, and the answer is according to the segment of the membership. For example, the humanitarian workers who are our members, some of them have been involved in North Korea for 20 years or longer, providing humanitarian assistance. Sig Hecker, on the other hand, a nuclear scientist, David Albright, also who specializes in, in nuclear matters related to North Korea, their focus is science. Their their focus are defense issues. We then have uh, former diplomats like Ambassador Kathy Stevens or Ambassador Joseph Detrani. Mm-hmm. And so their perspective is informed by their work with the Six-Party Talks, or Kathy Stevens, who is ambassador to South Korea. So while en- engagement is the one word with which all agree, the manner with which they pursue engagement is according to their background, according to their expertise, uh, etc.
0: Okay, now you mentioned earlier a principled engagement. How's that defined?
1: Principled engagement means engagement that is serious, engagement that shows that the United States and North Korea can actually sit down and, and have points of concurrence on topics, whether that be how to administer food aid in the North, whether that be how to pursue Track 2 talks, et cetera.
0: Is human rights part of the mission of
1: NCNK? Human rights is represented by some of our members, David Hawk, who is on the board of, or was on the board of HRNK. Also, our members, while our humanitarian workers are involved in North Korea, to provide humanitarian assistance, they view what they're doing to help North Korean people as, as very much pursuing a human right objective for those folks as well, so that they have clean drinking water, that they have mm. uh, access to food, etc.
0: Uh, one issue that's been occupying my headspace for the last year or so is this seeming divide between those on the humanitarian side and those on the human rights side. So how do you balance that in NCNK and and what's the, the dialogue like between those two arms of people seeking to engage in North Korea?
1: Excellent question. The approach to North Korea is different for each organization. The human rights community has less of an opportunity to engage with the North Koreans directly as we do on the humanitarian front. However, I would point out that the human rights community has gained the, and I I say the human rights community as a whole, I think has gained the attention of North Korea. You know, officials at the UN will point to greater North Korean involvement now in seminars or programs related to human rights. There seems to be an effort by the North Koreans of learning more on this topic. Having said that, on the humanitarian front, the focus is to gain access to the neediest of North Korea's population, the elderly, children, pregnant and lactating mothers, et cetera, and also to ensure to the best of their ability that the people who are targeted for assistance actually receive the assistance. And the NGOs, to their credit, many have been able to put in place monitoring mechanisms which help ensure the integrity of their programs.
0: Are there, as far as you know, any American national committees on other countries?
1: You do have, for example, the U.S. Uh, the, the Council on U.S.-China Relations. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are a number of organizations where Americans come together to promote bilateral relationships. I think, for example, of the association related to the Philippines. You have the U.S. Indonesia Society, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well, there's also the uh, the Korea Society uh, based yes. in Manhattan, but uh, but the N- NCNK has its own particular uh, remit, and I just wondered if there were if there were similarly focused organizations that, like uh, a, like it maybe a national committee on iran for example or a national committee on russia
1: not that i'm aware of okay
0: what are if any are there any uh, common misconceptions that people have about the national committee on north korea once they hear about it and you know, may not know fully what it does
1: excellent question well first it is not the national committee for north korea it is the national committee on north korea meaning again focused on engagement engagement from our perspective which promotes support for humanitarian assistance to the North. Secondly, engagement, which promotes track two talks with the North. Third, principled engagement in the context of our working through websites, through policy salons, to help make certain that policymakers, that people involved in think tanks, academics, have more information about North Korea on which to base their work and their approaches.
0: Okay, and where did you say you said it's a private organization? And where did you say it gets its funding from?
1: NCNK is funded from major foundations, including Ploughshares Fund, Henry Luce Foundation. Any relation? Uh, not that I know of. Okay, Carnegie Corporation of New York, Pacific Century Institute, as well as individual donors.
0: Okay, as far as you know, and this will be a question f- important for some of our listeners. Any CIA funding there? No. No. Okay. Or, or U.S. government funding. No. Okay. So it's all private foundational funding. All right. And has the role or the activities of NCNK changed over time? The purpose
1: of promoting engagement has been the same. How we, in fact, go about this effort depends upon events, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are those dry seasons, such as we're presently in, where North Korea, the leader of North Korea, has decided to not allow or not pursue negotiations with the United States, nor does he allow U.S. humanitarian assistance into the country. There are these cycles from time to time. And so in CNK members, their efforts at promoting engagement are impacted by the geopolitical environment, whether that's bilateral or regional in terms of Northeast Asia as a whole.
0: And what brings you here to South Korea at this time?
1: Well, here primarily for a Korea risk group uh, presentation oh, today. That sounds-
0: yes, that is
1: you. And then uh, while I'm here, I'm taking advantage of the situation to visit with the Korea Sharing Movement, which is yeah. in many respects a counterpart to NCNK ah, in okay. South Korea. Yeah,
0: They've been on the podcast before.
1: I'm also connecting with some of NCNK's members who are here, including John Do mm. uh, Dooyeon Kim, mm-hmm. etc.
0: Okay. Does uh, NCNK talk to
1: South Korean lawmakers? NCNK talks to anyone that wants to talk to NCNK. Great. And so from time to time, we, are, we have interactions not only with North Korean diplomats, mm-hmm. but we also uh, are visited by South Korean diplomats, American diplomats, et cetera.
0: Okay. Now, I'd, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about your, uh, your own travel uh, to North Korea uh, during the time that you were a, a Senate staffer. Tell our listeners in, in what capacity you visited North Korea five times.
1: The first visit was at the request of Senator Luger. 2002 was the year the Senate was going to be engaging in discussion about providing or not U.S. funded food assistance to North Korea. Luger was chairman of the Agriculture Committee, which had jurisdiction at that time over food aid. So Luger was concerned about if the United States provides assistance to North Korea, Mm -hmm. to what degree do those who are the intended recipients actually receive the assistance? Also, there were questions at the time that the World Food Program had posed to Luger and to other senators about access. Mm. Uh, The North Koreans during that time period were not allowing WFP Mm. to provide assistance in certain counties. And so the trip largely focused on uh, food aid. So I, I asked and the North Koreans agreed to my request to visit food aid distribution sites, to visit orphanages, biscuit factories, and so on.
0: And this was uh, 2002. That's just a, a few years after the end of the big famine or the arduous yes. march of the 1990s. So, could you share some of your observations that you made from your trips there?
1: The uh, trip was informative in many respects. Admittedly, I was taken aback by learning through my interactions with North Korean officials, taken aback by learning the degree to which, in my opinion, so many of their decisions. Their analysis about the United States was based upon incomplete information, or it was information which was being processed in a way that that I think was not entirely correct. Mm. What's interesting, after making that conclusion based upon my trip, after returning to Washington, and over time, I realized that the United States often has the same challenge Mm -hmm. related to North Korea. It's a closed country. And so American analysts, wherever they may work, public sector, private sector, are forced to deal with limited information, which can lead to decisions or recommendations which may
0: be inaccurate. Is that a function of the lack of engagement?
1: In part, yes. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, that's the way North Korea wants it, right? By not allowing access to many people from the outside.
0: Okay. Does, I wonder if that... Perhaps speaks to the uh, the value of track two diplomacy, that of non-officials meeting with non-officials. Although, of course, on North Korean side, they may not have official titles, but they're still acting in some capacity for the government.
1: Yeah, wouldn't you say that on the North, in the context of Americans Americans who are not officials meeting with North Koreans, probably a more accurate characterization is a track one point five, since mm. the North Koreans are actually right. government types. But yep. the point is. The track twos in the past have helped provide clarification to both sides when there is lack of full understanding about a statement or about a position or a country's goals of where they intend to be on this, this or that subject. So track twos can be very helpful in that regard, but one has to be very careful because track twos can also unintentionally provide mixed messages to the North Koreans. Mm which I think is more of a concern in the past than it is presently.
0: Well, certainly for the last three years since there's been no meetings going on between the U.S. and North Korea on, on any track. Mm-hmm. Going back to your, uh, your trips there in the early 2000s, do any uh, specific incidents stand out that really you know, that got you involved and just helped you to uh, end up uh, working for the uh, NCNK?
1: Yes, and I would just point to what I said earlier, mm-hmm. that in a number of situations... I was taken aback by how North Koreans perceived Americans or how they, how they reflect upon our positions, our public policy approaches, which, quite frankly, get back to their inability. They're not allowed to learn a lot about the outside unless, you, in, unless they represent certain ministries, uh,
0: et cetera. Uh, so tell us how you became involved in the uh, National Committee on North Korea.
1: After leaving the Senate, it was in early 2014 when I was asked to apply for the job, and that's how it started. Actually, while working in the Senate, as issues related to North Korea came to the fore, I, over time, realized that NCNK was a valuable and straightforward source of information about North Korea. For example, one time uh, we called upon... Nancy Lindborg, who at that time was with Mercy Corps within CNK, to arrange for a briefing of Senate staff about everyday life in North Korea. What's it like? Yep. And so Nancy, for example, pulled together Randall Ierson, who had been working uh, as an ag specialist in North Korea, mm-hmm. and, and some other people who were able to come in and sit down with Senate staff and just say, this is the daily life of an individual North Korean farmer or, or whomever. So my knowledge of NCNK went back to my my Senate years.
0: Now, politically, you lean Republican, mm-hmm. and NCK it, it's about humanitarian engagement with North Korea. Those two things don't often sit easily together. Are you unusual as a Republican, or am I uh, getting the wrong end of the stick?
1: I think that, uh, to be fair, I, I think we should expand what you just said in in the sense that often I, th- I think not just Republicans, but Democrats, I think Americans as a whole, mm. have often been or are skeptical about engaging with North Korea. Sometimes when I share with people back in Indiana, where I'm originally from, what the job is about in terms of connecting with North Korea, talking to the North Koreans, Hoosiers will say to me, well, Keith, why would we want to do that? Mm. Why?" And, and so I don't think this is a Republican or Democrat thing. I think it gets back to the fact that Many Americans view North Korea as it is. We are technically still at war. Technically, North Korea is an enemy of the United States. And so there are many questions about why should we be engaging? Why should we talk to them?
0: Uh, Now, of course, for the last three years, because of COVID, nobody has been able to visit North Korea. And there's been, uh, uh, you know, North Koreans based at the Permanent Mission to the United Nations in New York have been instructed not to meet with people. Have you any desire to go back to North Korea when it opens up again to see how things have or have not changed?
1: Yes, and and I think I could speak for our not only our humanitarian workers who are members, but also for the wide range of NCNK members. Uh, According to their expertise, according to their profession, their specialty, all of these people have interest in once again engaging with North Korea as possible, whether that be returning to the North or meeting with North Koreans in third countries.
0: Okay. All right. Great. Now let's uh, talk a bit about uh, Congress, U.S. Congress and North Korea policy, both you know, today and drawing on the lessons that you've uh, that you picked up while working for the Senate. I want to talk a bit about how the sausage is made. To what extent does Congress have an effect on U.S. foreign policy?
1: Well, the Congress has a, a major effect on U.S. foreign policy. You know, as you are aware, especially in terms of spending, in terms of appropriations, in terms of funding public policy initiatives. Having said that as relates to North Korea, through the years when I was on the hill, I realized that the Congress for the most part relied upon the administration to inform the Congress about North Korea, about the realities at the present time, whatever was going on or not. And it's because of this reality that I experienced that when I joined in CNK, I approached Dr. Satou Lemay at the East West Center. And we agreed and, in fact, co host now a website called North Korea in the World Mm -hmm. where you can uh, go to the website and learn about North Korea's global connectivity. For my purpose, this is quite important based upon background, because during my time in the Senate, the messages from any administration often were that North Korea the North Korean regime cannot survive, Kim Jong-il cannot survive, uh, the North Koreans must never be allowed to develop nuclear weapons, which they have, mm. and on and on. So my, it's my personal opinion that we are where we are today, and now in a crisis situation with a nuclear-armed North Korea, in part because Congress and the executive branch, through a range of presidents... We were inconsistent in attempting to resolve the North Korea situation. Having said that, in fairness to past administrations and the Congress, there were a number of other issues on the table. There were a number of other crises, if you will. And so North Korea then and now often received attention once missiles were flying. Mm.
0: Now, we've just, in January 2023, we've just started a new two-year cycle of Congress, of the, uh, the people in the House. What kinds of uh, pending legislation pertaining to North Korea uh, exist in Washington, D.C.? And and do they get reset every time there's a new Congress sworn in?
1: Yes. Any bills that were pending prior to January 1 this year are now—they're gone. Uh The decks have been cleared. It's a new session, which means that members of the House and Senate must, in fact, reintroduce or introduce for the first time legislation they want to be considered. They want to have considered. There's a wide range of issues that you, one gets into here. There, there is first of all obviously the, the security considerations of North related to North Korea, which which bring in the topic of sanctions, uh, bring in the topic of the importance of the U.S.-R.O.K. alliance, et cetera, et cetera. You also have a wide range of other issues that really do matter to Americans, such as the ongoing issue of Korean War. POW, MIA, Human Remains Issues. Mm -hmm. At the end of the Korean War, as you are aware, there were at least 6,000 or so Americans unaccounted for. Many still are in that category. You also have the issue of separation of families divided by the Korean War. Some of those are families uh, who live in the South and North. Some are uh, Koreans who live in the United States so that's, that's an example of, of another issue. And then the humanitarian NGOs who work in North Korea providing assistance, it is necessary for them to comply with the U.S. regulatory environment, meaning they must comply with requirements of the Treasury Department, of the Office of Foreign Assets Control, of the Commerce Department, of the State Department. And so the NGOs have been encouraging for a period of time a streamlining of some of the licensing process that's required there. So that may be a focus.
0: So all these issues that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. somewhere before January 1st, there were some pending bills on Mm -hmm. this, and now they're all reset and they've got to start again.
1: That's correct. And another area that I should add is human rights. Mm. And that that particular topic is one where you will see additional legislation on that front. For example, the Congress has not yet reauthorized the original uh, North Korea Human Rights Act of 2004 which included establishment of the position of special envoy on human rights.
0: So, Can you just explain what that means to not reauthorize something or reauthorizing? I mean, when something's a law, doesn't it just go on forever? No. Okay. It depends upon how
1: the law is written, right? It depends on whether or not within that bill there's a sunset date, et cetera.
0: Ah. Okay. So the 2004 Human Rights Act passed during the uh, George W. Bush administration. There was some kind of a, a sunset clause on that?
1: It had been reauthorized a few times since then. Okay. And but so it needs it, another one. It needed another reauthorization.
0: Okay. And th- does that require a bill in and of itself? Yes. Ah, okay. So, so there's a lot of things that are pending and we're all reset from the start of this month.
1: There are a lot of things that went away. Mm. And for those things to reappear, right. then a member must introduce specific legislation
0: again okay. for each of those topics. All right. That, that's clear. Thank you. Does NCNK take an interest in all issues, uh, all uh, legislative issues related to North Korea?
1: No. I mean, in CNK, uh, we are very focused on promoting engagement with the North. We are interested in doing so in a way that we believe, again, is principled. But uh, again, our members, 100 or so people, each have different opinions on mm. all these things. And, and so we respect the diversity of thinking, but we have our eye on the ball long-term of promoting engagement
0: through a variety of means. Now, what do you think we can expect from the various uh, congressional committees both in the House and the Senate in terms of North Korea policy from this new Congress?
1: You know, to a large degree, this will be impacted by events. So if the present crisis atmosphere worsens, if in fact we see the situation get out of control one way or the other, Congress will be paying
0: attention and will respond to the degree that Congress believes it needs to respond. Now, just remind our, our listeners, that how much discretionary power does the UN's president have to start or continue a war?
1: <laughs> so if you have three days, we can get into this in greater detail, oh, gosh. right? <laughs> We've
0: got three minutes? No.
1: So actually, in the present scenario, you have the U.S.-South Korea alliance. You have the mutual defense agreement between the two countries. Within that, there is this automatic, shall we say, uh, determination on what would happen under certain circumstances. So the U- U.S. military leadership in South Korea uh, has considerable discretion. The degree to which the president gets involved, I- I'm not certain that pres- if, if something occurred today, mm-hmm. the United States, mil- if, if North Korea uh, took action of some sort today that required a military response, the U- U.S. military is not going to Wait on a call back from President Biden. Ah. They, will, they will take action. If you get into a more extended situation, uh, the degree to which the President gets involved, uh, I mean the, the president will be involved all along, but the, the, the degree to which he has to be involved, that will vary according
0: to the circumstances, et cetera. Going back to the Congress there, so I understand that there's a career caucus within the United States Congress. What is that?
1: Well, in the past, there have been members of the House and members of the Senate. Who have a special interest in Korea, who would meet from time to time to discuss how U.S. Korea relations might be moved along. But the same applies to some other countries. Uh, there have been caucuses in the in the Congress in the past in involving other countries that are friends of the United States, where interested members will convene, meet informally to try to figure out how to push legislation or to affect legis- uh, presidential action, etc. So with the present situation in Washington, you you not only have a Korea caucus that has been active, and I can't predict what the degree of activity will be in the new Congress, but they've been active. You also have the South Korean embassy, which is quite active in its outreach to the Congress. You have think tanks in Washington, which hold a range of meetings and projects related to Korea, the peninsula. And so throughout the, the South Korea US relationship gets considerable attention from the Congress.
0: Now, as an outsider, it seems to me that uh, the US Congress is generally quite hawkish on North Korea no matter who's in the majority. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, yes, that's but, fair. If so why is that? It is because of the
1: North Korea's ongoing actions in terms of missile launches, in terms of cyber activities a whole range of activities from North Korea that have been sanctioned by the United Nations or sanctioned by the United States. And the this whole range of activities in the minds of many the Congress does not message an intent on the part of North Korea to engage with the United States in a constructive way.
0: Okay, well, so let's go back in time here to when Bill Clinton was president. And then he had this uh, the agreed framework and the keto deal between the United States of America and the... Uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Now, shortly after that deal was signed in late, I think October 1994, the Republicans took over the Congress and the support for the agreed framework, including the Quito construction, just wasn't there. And I wonder, is it possible, given this, uh, the way that American politics works in these cycles, is it possible to ever have a situation where everybody gets on board and a long-term plan is possible?
1: I think that a longer-term plan is possible. First of all, if an administration would include congressional leaders or select members of Congress in the negotiating process with North Korea if an administration would more actively brief leaders of Congress when there is movement on projects with North Korea. Now, under President Trump, Steve Began actually uh, who is a former Senate staffer, but yeah. became Deputy Secretary of State.
0: Uh, was he a colleague of yours?
1: Yes. Oh. Uh, Steve Began was actually very proactive with Congress and, and made sure that people were informed. But unfortunately, through the years, it's been my experience that, that, that the Began approach was more the exception than the rule mm. with other administrations. So Congress has to be part of the process. They have to be included somehow. And then in addition to that, the North Koreans have to do their part meaning for the Congress to want to be involved, for the Congress to have interest in engaging with the North, North Korea is going to have to demonstrate its willingness to stop a range of activities which are considered hostile by members of Congress or by U.S. administrations. So it, it's complicated. It, it's a process which is necessary, but it's, it's difficult to uh, get to the point mm. where all parties are on the same page.
0: Would you say that North Korea was playing its part during the Trump administration? In what regard? Well, in, in that it, was, it, it had stopped doing those things that you mentioned yes, there.
1: Yes, the, to some degree. The North, President Trump actually got the attention of the North Koreans by reaching out to them, by giving, extending face to the North Korean leader. There was a pause, if you will, in terms of some of their activities that were considered contrary to what they should be. Having said that, that whole chapter is now ended. It's over. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the North Koreans may be looking forward to the possibility of a return by Mr. Trump to the White House, thinking that that might once again elevate their hope for some type of agreement with the United States. Having said that, the North Koreans also realize, however, that the President of the United States is not the Congress. Mm-hmm. And just because they might have someone in the White House who would be willing to engage in negotiations does not mean that the rest of the United States government would concur.
0: Coming back to Steve Biegun for a moment, do you have any insight into why President Biden chose not to keep Steve Biegun on as the uh, North Korea point man?
1: I have no idea.
0: I mean, is, is that a political thing in America? I mean, given that he was a Trump appointee, does he automatically have to be out or was it feasible that he could have been asked to stay on?
1: Well, it's, it's often it's my observation that it's often the exception that someone w- would be invited to stay on mm. in a key position. Having said that, I would imagine that behind the scenes, during the transition, and perhaps for a time thereafter, I would imagine that the administration stayed and remained in contact with Mr. Began. After all, he had been front line. He had dealt directly with the North Koreans. Yeah. Uh, he had considerable experience. Is he involved in uh, the National Committee on North Korea? Not at this time.
0: Okay. I imagine he would be. But
1: I must say that uh, when he was deputy secretary, he attended our meetings. He would speak with us. Uh, We really had the privilege of ongoing interaction with him. As far as I know, at the present time, he's not spending full time on the North Korea issue.
0: Would he be welcome to join as far as you're concerned? Well, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You've been at this a long time, Keith, working on, on North Korean issues since the early 2000s do you remain hopeful? Yes. What gives you hope?
1: Well, first of all, I have to begin by the fact that we have a positive relationship with South Korea. We have this alliance. We have ongoing interaction in many ways, which is is very positive. Secondly, Kim Jong-un, at the present time, his actions suggest that he's not open to negotiation, that he's not interested in interacting with the United States in a way that would lead to some kind of long-term peaceful resolution having said that it's a personal opinion that Kim Jong Un that one of his passions is to improve the North Korean economy mm. i believe that he is personally committed to this for a variety of reasons uh, you know when he first uh, took over as leader he actually took made a number of moves To decentralize authority, to give greater leverage to farmers, to factory owners, more cell phones in the country. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of this pretends a change in approach to governance on his part. I am saying that I think that he wants to eventually raise the economic standards in North Korea, but I think he wants to do it significantly. And for him to do that to the extent I believe he wants to go, He would especially benefit from access to the World Bank, to the international financial institutions. That will not occur until sanctions start to disappear. Sanctions are likely not going away until it is determined by the United Nations, by the United States, that North Korea is taking actions that would benefit an overall positive movement toward peace. So I am optimistic because I think at the end of the day, uh, he wants, Kim Jong-un wants to improve his country's economy for a variety of reasons. But to do that, he's going to require international cooperation. Now, I could be wrong. It, it could be that he's decided that he can do this on his own, that come hell or high water, he doesn't need the United States, doesn't need the international community, that he is going to continue down the road they're presently on of their economy, of of etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. And if that's the case, then... I'm less optimistic, but for the moment, I'm convinced that he really does want to engage with the
0: international community to improve the economy. Sanctions, you just brought that up, so let's talk about that. Does the National Committee on North Korea have a policy on, on sanctions?
1: Well, as with other policies, we, we do not, we're, we're not a lobbying organization. Mm. However, from time to time, we will introduce op-eds or pieces, asking questions or promoting consideration on sanctions. There are a number of our members who who are going to be more active on promoting a public reconsideration of the approach to sanctions because the sanctions, while perhaps well-intended, they have not achieved Mm. what was intended by the United States, by the United Nations. And that
0: intent is to, to prevent stop, North Korea's... To
1: stop North Korea's s- nuclear development.
0: Which clearly it has not done.
1: That has failed. Right. That effort has failed. Sanctions have failed in terms of stopping the WMD approach, uh, the nuclear program, et cetera, which then raises the question, mm. well, what is there another approach? What, okay, okay. what else could be done? So I think we're going to see more of a review of that mm. approach and, and what the future might hold.
0: Now, some people uh, like to see sanctions not in line with their original intent, but simply as a means to punish North Korea, as a weapon.
1: Indeed. There, there is a large segment of people among American policyholders, I think the population as a whole that, that understands sanctions, mm-hmm. who think we must continue to punish North Korea on a variety of fronts mm. because of behavior that we view as wrong, whether that be on the human rights front, whether it be on proliferation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so there will continue to be a press for sanctions uh, in in many of these ways. The problem becomes implementation of sanctions, especially when the Chinese and the Russians sort of allow the the sanctions regime to leak like a sieve Mm -hmm. uh, because they have other ideas in mind in terms
0: of their relationship with North Korea. Do you find that support for sanctions within the Washington, D.C. policymaking community is stable, dropping, growing?
1: You know, it's not—sanctions has been such a given in the policy Mm. world that it really hasn't been a topic of much discussion as relates to change, as relates to any revisions. But I think given the escalation of events, given the real question, how do we get North Korea to re-engage— there are a number of possibilities that will likely be on the table that perhaps were not so in the past.
0: Uh, now, after the, uh, the tragic death of Otto Warmbier several years ago, the U.S. State Department put in place a, a travel ban on U.S. citizens to North Korea. And I was wondering if you could talk about what, that, what effect that's had on, well, pre-COVID, but on humanitarian work and engagement by U.S. citizens in North Korea and, and whether that policy or that rule uh, looks like changing.
1: Well, the tragedy of Auto warm passing created the inevitable reality that the United States government would stop travel to North Korea. And there were some exceptions made in terms of the requirements to get a special validation passport, humanitarian assistance, maybe a journalist. But the State Department put in place, even for those allowed considerations, the State Department put in place a process. That was viewed as rather cumbersome by the NGOs, the, the cost, the challenge of planning a trip without knowing whether or not you get the permission by the State Department to go in. So the, the Department of State has made some incremental improvements from the NGO community's perspective. Mm. However, uh, the state, at the end of the day, it will likely be quite a while before the United States government just issues this uh, re- removal. Of limitations on visiting North Korea. One need only look at the situation recently involving Russia and the detention of American citizens. So, in the past, American diplomats wrung their hands as they were, on one hand, attempting to negotiate with North Korea on the nuclear issue, but at the same time, North Korea had arrested a, an American citizen or citizens for whatever reason. And, and so the Department of State especially saw the ongoing travel to North Korea by citizens who might get arrested as uh, an impediment to substantive negotiations with North Korea on, on denuclearization, et cetera. So that fits into the equation as well.
0: Mm. Are there any uh, U.S.-based think tanks or uh, other institutions that NCNK is closely aligned or allied with? Well... NCNK, we collaborate with a range of
1: organizations in our programming, for example. I mm-hmm. mentioned the East West yes. Center, where we co-host a website. We Which also said uh, North hang on North Korea uh, in the world. North Korea is the in name the world. of that site. Mm-hmm. We also co-host events. We we have an upcoming event uh, in February. NCNK is co-hosting with the Marine and Mike Mansfield Foundation. It, mm. will, it will be a book launch for Dr. Sig Hecker's book, um, Hinge Points about North Korea Nuclear Program. Listen to him on, the, uh, on an upcoming episode of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. We also work with other organizations such as 38 North, mm. such as the Woodrow Wilson Center, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we collaborate often. For one reason, this helps maximize resources yep. for all organizations. Secondly, It really strengthens the voice of what we're trying to say. Another group that we work with is the U.S.-Asia Institute, which is a long-time capital health organization. So, yes, we are involved in collaborating, uh, cooperating with organizations as possible.
0: Mm. Are there any uh, South Korean organizations that you collaborate with?
1: NCNK has interaction with the Korea Sharing Movement hmm. based in Seoul. Right. The Korea Sharing Movement, as you are probably aware, is the umbrella organization for South Korean NGOs that provide assistance to the North. So, for example, last December, NCNK co-hosted with the U.S. Institute of Peace in Washington a program featuring the Korea Sharing Movement officials who came to Washington, gave their members, an opportunity to connect with some of our members, et cetera. So, in fact, while I'm in Seoul, uh, I'm connecting with them uh, as well. Mm,
0: fantastic. Now, I know that you uh, that NCNK is not a, a lobbying organization, so this, this is a question that can, be, uh, can answer that from your own personal perspective. Where would you like to see U.S. policy on North Korea five years from now, in 2028? And how likely do you think that is?
1: Well, in the perfect world, mm. North Korea and the international community, including the United States, would come to an understanding on how to approach key issues that threaten the region. And so this requires interaction between the United States and North Korea, ongoing interaction with countries in the region, plus other countries. So I'm hopeful that at some point in time we see a multilateral approach A multilateral approach that works may not— Now,
0: you mean more than just the United States and North Korea, but other countries.
1: A multilateral approach that works may require originating outside of Northeast Asia. This may require a United Nations-led effort. Mm -hmm. It may require an effort led by leaders from other countries. I don't know, but that's one hope. Secondly, we look forward to the day when people-to-people programs can reemerge between the United States and North Korea. Back in the 1990s, North Koreans came to the United States for agriculture training, for medical training, et cetera, et cetera. There were Americans traveling to North Korea. The benefit of this people-to-people work diplomacy is really a remarkable example of uh, bottom-up impact. You know, within North Korea, I recall a situation, for example, where uh, one NGO that was focused on agriculture years ago had worked in the north for quite a while, had local North Korean partners the north korean leaders in pyongyang for whatever reason wanted the us ngo to to leave the country the north koreans at the local level interceded said no no we we know these americans we trust them we want them to be able to stay hmm. the benefit of people to people is that north koreans and americans get to see each other for who they are and in my in my own travels to north korea traveling the countryside wherever it was interesting to see north koreans and to interact with them in terms of what they expected of me versus what I actually was. Mm. So I'm hopeful at some point there can be an active people-to-people re-engagement process started. Is that the total answer? No, it is not. But education is important on both sides to help make sure that there is an accurate understanding of, of what is reality.
0: Do you think it's feasible that you yourself could be welcomed back into North Korea in your current position as executive director of the National Committee on North Korea?
1: Oh, I don't know. I would just simply say that we remain in contact with the North Koreans. We have open dialogue with the North Koreans, with the South Koreans. Mm-hmm. We talk to the Chinese. We, talk, we remain in active contact with the United States government. So uh, I, I can't answer that question. If the
0: uh, Hypothetical here. If the North Koreans at the, uh, at the United Nations were to say, uh, Hey, Keith, we'd like to have you and some NGO people from NCNK come over for a visit now that COVID's finished. Would you be in for that?
1: Actually, I'm not going to put them in that position. Okay. I, I'm not going to respond to that question.
0: All right. Uh, would you like <laughs> to see more people uh, get involved in and engage with uh, NCNK? Yes. Uh, how can they do that?
1: They can go to our website, learn more about us, and then if they have interest in uh, getting involved with NCNK in one way or the other, we have a membership process. Mm-hmm. Which we would be glad to inform them about.
0: Okay. What's the URL of your website, please? ncnk.org. Okay. And of course, they can also find you, uh, your organization, on Twitter at ncnkorea. Mm-hmm. Thank you uh, once again, Keith Luce of the National Committee on North Korea, for coming on the show. Second time lucky, this one will go out for sure. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of our podcast today. If you already have an NK News account, and if you're a think tank, business, or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services that specifically cater to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can inquire about access or a free trial membership by sending an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks, as always, to Brian Betts and Arius Dare for facilitating this episode, and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you very much, and listen again next time.